Sometimes I almost feel guilty coming up here. <laughs> I just, it's just such a privilege to be able to be with God and with God's people. And today is a special day. It's Palm Sunday. It is one week to go before the, the greatest event in the history of humanity, where God gave his, himself to redeem every human being that ever lived if they, if they will take that redemption. And it's just amazing. And I, I love this time of year. I love Easter. One of the things that happens to me at Easter is I really miss my mom. I miss my mom a lot at Easter. What a beautiful lady. What a cute kid. I'm one of four. I'm not saying telling you who that is, but it is very cute, that kid. I miss my mom at Easter because, because, because it was just family. It was just us. And I, I miss her telling me, Johnny, this year I'm not going to buy you any Easter eggs. And then they're still buying me Easter eggs anyway. The round chicken ones, you know, the, 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 the white ones? Those. I miss her having bought her grandkids a bunch of Easter eggs and then still just before Easter coming to me and say, listen, I think you should get some more Easter eggs. I miss her asking me, when are we going to go to church? And, and I just, I miss my mom at Easter. I, I miss her especially when I'm driving down the highway back from, from like Hillcrest and you go past those big pink and purple trees. Um, and people told me the names, but I forgot them already again. To Bashina. I miss, whenever I see those, I think of my mom. She loved them so much. And I miss her. I miss her other times of the year. But Easter, I especially miss her. Here's a confession. I don't miss her that much at Christmas. And I know that sounds awful as it comes off my tongue. Because surely, what about Christmas? Well, I'm going to tell you why that is so. What the dynamic is going on there. My mom had a very fixed idea about Christmas. Especially Christmas Day. Especially Christmas Day lunch. Especially what had to be on the menu and what wasn't going to be on the menu. There was going to be turkey with stuffing. There was going to be gammon. There was going to be roast potatoes. There was going to be Christmas pudding. There was. And it was going to happen at lunchtime on Christmas Day with as many of the family as we could round up. And that's it. No negotiations would be entered into. And I loved that. But then I became the pastor of this church. And the whole dynamic for me around Christmas changed. All of a sudden, five or six services, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And honestly, to squeeze in a big family lunch like that with all of those requirements at lunchtime on Christmas Day was a mission. It was an absolute mission. And I could never persuade my mom, Mom, can't we just do it? Can't we just do it on, on Boxing Day, Mom? No, Johnny, that's Christmas. And I, and I love Christmas here. I love celebrating Christmas the way we do here. It's not the only way, but I love it. 
And, and I think what saddened me was my mom could never understand that. She could never go, you know what, if I changed my requirements for when on Christmas and what on Christmas around the meal, there could be a better, bigger blessing. And, and so, so it's not maybe not that I miss her so much as I wish she could have experienced the new kind of joy I was getting out of Christmas when the dynamic changed. We're all a bit like that. We all have things that we hold on to, things that we want to happen in a certain way because we've loved it and because, because it's deeply meaningful for us and because it's, it's helped us as a family or as a person. And sometimes we miss out because we, we haven't got the strength or perhaps the desire to change our minds about something. And that's a real challenge for a follower of Jesus because, because the Bible teaches us that God is constantly doing new things. God is always moving in new and wonderful ways. And perhaps... Palm Sunday is, is the iconic moment that we as God's followers must remind ourselves that sometimes God does new things. And it's so easy to miss out. It's so easy to rob ourselves. It's so easy not to go where God wants us to go especially when we've loved where we've been and God has done amazing things. And so when God starts to do new things, when God creates new wineskins for his new wine, often we want to bail out. And when we do, we miss some deep, deep things that God wants to do in us and through us and around us. And so I want to look at this amazing story of Palm Sunday and, and, and look at it so that we and I, so that you and I could go through a journey of what do we do when God does a new thing? Because the truth is this Palm Sunday was this massive new thing. The Gospels, all four of the Gospels record the story, and I'm going to read mostly from the Gospel of Luke, but I've inserted a bit of Matthew in there because I don't want to miss out the Hosannas because, you know, that's my mind, Palm Sunday is the Hosannas. And, and Luke doesn't tell us about the Hosannas, but Matthew does. And so here is Jesus. He's, he's coming into Jerusalem. He is announcing himself as the Messiah. And he's about to change the way God is worshipped in a massive way. He's about to change almost, almost everything about how people thought God should be worshipped. And this is what he does. After Jesus had said this, Luke 19, verse 28, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of, Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples <clears throat> saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. 
untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as, they, as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, and now the Matthew part comes in, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When, it came near, when he came near the place, and now we're back with Luke again, where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So, so here's this picture. Here's this picture of God changing things, creating a new wineskin to put new wine in, a, a brand new way of worshiping God, a, a new way of, of, of experiencing salvation. And so let's unpack it a little bit. Let's unpack, first of all, some things that I believe are, are principles when God does a new thing. Because the problem is, we often ask ourselves when a new thing comes along, is this God or isn't it? You know, we get into that zone, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But here's a really important thing. When God does a new thing, it is always rooted in God's character. His new thing is always rooted in his unchanging, eternal character. Now, we often go against new things because we say, you know, that's not how God has done it before, and God never changes. You see, the truth is God's character is what never changes. Who he is is what never changes. But how he does things, well, if you don't think he changes how he does things, read the Bible, and you'll see that he does. But they remain true to his character. They remain true to who he is. And, and often, when he's changing new things, he doesn't just abandon the old. There's no, can be no mistake that people who were watching what Jesus was doing knew that what they were seeing was rooted deeply in, in, in Scripture and in, in the story of Israel. They understood the symbolism of what was happening here, this king coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. They understood that. He said it wasn't a surprise to people. They were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting somebody to come and be a king and to, and to change things and to rule over and, and to free them. They were expecting that. They just weren't expecting it like this. They were expecting a warrior on a war horse to come and conquer the Romans and, and, and make the temple glorious again. And make Israel the number one nation in the world. That's what they were expecting. And God was doing a new thing. But it doesn't mean he'd thrown all of the old things away. 
It's why a crowd started going, Hosanna. It's why a crowd started waving palm branches. It's why some of those people in that moment saw almost immediately what God was doing. Something is different here, and we need to be part of that. But the truth is, there were also things going on there that weren't normal. I often wonder what it felt like for those two disciples as they had left Jesus and his friends and were walking into the village and talking about this donkey that they were essentially had been instructed to steal. I mean, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Just go and you'll see this donkey and untie it. And, and if you want to use a strict definition, that's theft. Now, we know that God doesn't steal. We know that. And God doesn't take things that, you know, it's wrong. But it must have felt like that in that moment to them. Is God really asking us to steal? Because, hey, what's the chances if somebody does see us? Because Jesus says, look, you'll, you'll find a person there, and when they ask you what it's about, just tell them the Lord needs it, and he'll bring it back. I mean, I know he said that to them, but, but you know, what happens if he was wrong? And so often... Even when we know something is rooted in God's character, somehow, because it's a new way of doing things, we, we have that moment going, ooh, ooh, this doesn't feel right. And is it because I'm just used to doing something a certain way? Or is it because God is, is, is doing something in a new way? And it's not necessarily wrong to ask us, ourselves that question. In fact, we should ask ourselves that question. But to, to simply go, God has never done it like this before, therefore it can't be part of his character, is simply wrong. So God will always be true to his character. He will always be true to his desire to, to reach a lost and hurting world. He will always be true to his holiness and his goodness and his justice and his righteousness. But sometimes... The new way will make us feel weird or a bit afraid. For others, it will make us feel like we just want to wave palm branches. It will always be rooted in God's character. God's new things are always rooted in his world. They're always rooted in the world that he is in. God... God wants to save people in Westville in 2020. You do know that. He doesn't want to save people in Westville in 1936. He did want to do that in 1936. But the world changes. The world changes. And God interacts with that change. God uses the methods of that day to reach out to us. I know some of us still feel weird using a cell phone as a Bible. I know some people still like, oh, it just somehow doesn't feel right. And so maybe it's not right. I wonder if, if people after Gutenberg invented the press... And they were able to carry Bibles for the first time ever in their lives. Go, it doesn't feel right just for me to read the Bible. I, I need a priest to say it to me. 
I'm sure people felt like that. And you know what people did? And they went, oh, but I can't read this myself. I need a priest. This is hard. This is complicated. And they could have come up with good reasons to go, I shouldn't read this. This new thing is not great. And so it's just a true thing that happens to us, that as the world changes, God reaches into this world right now. And sometimes wonderful, good fantastic things that used to reach thousands of people a generation ago no longer reach thousands of people. They just don't. And so God says, let's take my principles and my character and build them into this new, this world we find right here, right now. The third thing that I'm very sure about God's change is rooted in his people. He always invites us to be part of this change. God almost never acts on his own. You read it in the Bible. He, when he's acting in the world, he's, he's inviting people to join him. And sometimes they refuse. Sometimes he only uses one person. But he's always going to people and saying, join me on this journey. Be with me. Don't, don't just think I'm, I'm going to do a new thing that's just going to drop out of heaven. And so he invites us when he does a new thing to be part of that new thing, to do it with him. And the truth is that creates struggles for us. That creates tensions because, because almost never, almost never, I can never remember in my, I've been a follower of Jesus for 50, lots of years now. I can never remember something new coming along and everybody just going, yes. I, just, I, I can never remember it. Some people go, yes. Other people go, no. Yet God does it. And so if those things are true, if, if it's true that whenever God does a new thing, it's rooted in his character, if it's true that it's rooted in his world and it's, it's true that it's rooted in his people, what happens when God does a new thing? Well, we can look at this, this picture, the story that we've read, and see what happens. For some people, when God does this new thing, immediately joy is what happens. Some people, and, and you know what? I don't think all of those people that were waving palm branches and putting their cloaks on the ground fully understood what was going on. I think a lot of them were just caught up in it. But there were many who did, and, and so they were overjoyed. They were so excited about this new thing. And all of you have experienced it. You know, sometimes you grow up in a certain church tradition and you go somewhere else, and, and just in that moment, God does something amazing for you outside of your tradition. And you just go, oh, God, it was amazing. And what do you try and do? You run back to your old church and go, God, you've got to start doing this. Got to. Well, maybe not, because maybe that's God's new thing for them and not for us. But people have joy when God does new things. When, when God does new things, people worship God. I mean, the picture is clear here. You know, the waving of the palm branches and, and the singing and the shouting you notice some people didn't like that kind of worship in that moment? They didn't approve. This is wrong and we'll get there. Because you see, when God does a new thing, not only does it result often in joy and in worship, but, but very often it results in division. People get separated in their opinions in that moment. And even not just the good guys and the bad guys. 
Sometimes the good guys are on both sides. Sometimes the bad guys are on both sides. But in my experience, and certainly the story tells it, there comes a division. There comes a time when people have to try and find each other. And if you read the story, it's not just the Pharisees and everybody else. If you read each of the accounts, you'll see there's some kind of vibe or so going on, even amongst the disciples. You know, what's going on here? And, and, And God's people often go through a moment or even a long period of division. Not only division, but confusion as well. And, and we don't like confusion, do we? Because we know that passage of Scripture that says everything must be done in order. And so as soon as, soon as things on feel disordered for us, we're like, ah. But the truth is, here were a group of people who were confused. What is going on here? And the Pharisees ended up on one side, and, and a whole lot of people ended up on another. And it took them a while to solve that division and confusion issue. I'm old enough to remember when something called the Toronto Blessing happened and God did a new thing. And, and one of the things that started happening is people got slain in the spirit. In other words, they, they encountered God in such a powerful way that they fell down. Now, I can remember reading books, analyzing that, and books that went down to the point of if people fall over forwards, then they really are worshiping God. But if they fall over backwards, they're not. And there were books written about that. Why? Well, because people are trying to figure out, is this really God? And it's okay to go through that process. It happens. Sadly, it often creates conflict. Jesus, tell your disciples to stop doing that. And Jesus responds in quite an interesting way because he's telling these guys, guys, this is a move of God. This isn't an opinion thing. This is a move of God. And if you resist what's going on here, even the rocks are going to worship me. If I tell them to keep quiet, they probably will, but then no, the stones are going to start doing stuff here. Because God is acting. Because God is changing. And so so that, honestly, that's what we can expect. Because it happened right here in Scripture, and we see it over and over again. But the issue must move beyond that because God is going to do new things for us. He's going to do new things in in us and with us. He always has. He's going to do new things in your life and in our community, and we need to prepare for that. And so when God doesn't do a new thing, this passage also teaches us a whole lot of things about how we can prepare ourselves for those new things that God is doing. Because there's a whole lot of requirements. The first requirement we see is obedience. Obedience. Guys, I need the two of you to go into, the, into Bethphage and steal a donkey for me. That's not what he said, but that's, I think, what they heard. Fortunately, when they got there, they didn't have to steal the donkey because the owner actually was there and said, what are you doing? And said, oh, the Lord needs it. And, and, and can you imagine how nervous they must have been? Can you imagine the debate going on inside their heads? But they obeyed. I wonder if they argued with each other on the road about who was going to actually do the untying. You know, because... 
because at least I'll just be an accessory after the fact. I wonder. I mean, I don't know. But I'm certain that it felt awkward and strange for them because this was a kind of obedience they'd never been asked to do. And we have to respond to God's new wineskins, often with new obediences, with ways of obeying God that we're not used to, haven't grown up with. And to do that requires faith. To do that requires that I have to have faith in the character of God. I'm sure, I'm sure one of the things that was going through their minds as they went to go and get that, that, that donkey is, no, 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 there's, there's no way Jesus would ever ask us to steal anything. There's no way. It just feels like he's asking us to steal it, but there is no way he would. And so it, it, it requires faith, but not simply faith in what God has done. Faith in who God is. Faith in God's character. Faith in God's love for us. That's the kind of faith that being able to, to journey through and into God's new things is part of us being able to do it. It also requires humility. I think one of the reasons the Pharisees had such a hard time grasping this is that they were being asked to give up their power and a system of worshipping God that God himself had instituted. This temple, this beautiful temple, we, we, over the years, millions of people have connected to God. And, and God has given us a special place here. And, and, and we want to bring people close to God. Surely he doesn't want us to give all that up. Surely he doesn't. I don't know about you, but when I look back and I see the way God has used me, and I see that Sometimes those ways that God used me have stopped working. Please, God, can't we have that back? God, you know, the youth ministry that I had back when I was a youth director, I mean, thousands of people came to faith. Surely you don't want me to give that up, God. Surely, can't we just go back and do that again? It worked so well. And God says, no. No. And that requires humility. It requires going, I'm not the judge of what goes on here. God is. It requires sacrifice. When God does a new thing, it means that we have to let go sometimes of old things. It, 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 it means sometimes we have to let go of precious things. Sometimes our sacrifices are incredibly practical. I wonder how many people got into such trouble when they got home for throwing their coats on the ground. I wonder how many moms were like, seriously, you threw that coat on the ground and you let a donkey walk over it? And for sure, some of those coats didn't just have donkey hoof prints on them. Now, I know that sounds like a, a bit of a silly story, but it does, it does illustrate 
The fact that when God does a new thing, God's people are, are called to sacrifice. Sometimes extraordinary sacrifice. When God does a new thing, he requires us also to step into community. I love the fact that the story seems to have, that, that big momentum as they went into Jerusalem seems to have started with the disciples first twigging. The 12 or the 20 or the 30 that were close to Jesus. Oh, oh, this is that moment. We need to put our coats down. We need to put him on the donkey. We need to spread our coats. And then all of a sudden, other people are looking going, oh, 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 yes. And they, and they join that community And together they praise and worship God. God is and always will do new things. And we as his people and as his family need to ask ourselves, and I need to ask you this morning, is your heart ready for God's new things? Because in essence, that's where we have to start. When God does a new thing, we have to start in our own hearts We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to obey and have faith and act in humility and sacrifice and be part of a community? Because the truth is, God is doing new things in our church. God is doing new things, and I think he's used COVID to do that and all sorts of other things. He's doing a new thing where we're saying church isn't simply about all of us together here on a Sunday, which is awesome. But it's also about being in smaller groups so that we can more closely lead and serve and love each other. And that as important as this is, those smaller groups are also just so fundamentally important to to us growing as God's people. And and it's a new thing and we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to embrace it? God is doing a new thing in terms of the outreach of our church in our, in our amalgamation with Azalea Road. We've never done anything like that before. And we may never do it again. But in this moment, are we willing to say, God, you're doing this new thing. Show each of us where we fit into this amazing new thing that you are doing. I'm convinced God is doing a new thing through the recovery house and through our recovery ministry on a Monday. It is, it is just bringing in a whole new dynamic of different and new people that need to be ministered to in ways that we perhaps are not used to ministering to. And are we willing to embrace this new thing? I also think God is bringing in new ways of worship. It's an online thing. It's just, it's weird. And it's wonderful. I sat here this morning on Facebook talking to members of our congregation in Zambia and in Denver, Colorado. Isn't God amazing? And it's going to change what happens even in this room. God is doing new things, church family. He always has, and he's going to continue to do it, and he wants us with him. Despite the struggles that we will encounter, despite the fact that we will have to give up some things we know and love, despite the danger of of missing God's opportunity, despite all of that, God says to us, is your heart ready for my new thing? Because I want to change the world. Not the world that was, but this world right now. 
God, thank you that you are always about new things. Lord, thank you that, that we can rely entirely on your character for our security, entirely on the work that you have done on the cross for our eternal salvation. But Lord, thank you that we can also rely on you as the way we do things changes, as you create new wine skins so that new people can come to know and love you and so that we can be transformed and the world around us can be transformed. Lord, thank you that you hear us as we cry to you. Teach us where you want us to go, Lord. I'm going to invite you now to stand as we pray and participate in an old thing. It's a blessing. And, and, and I'm convinced that part of the new thing is blessings as well. I want to pray this for you. That as you search your heart... And ask yourself, am I ready for God's new thing in my life and in my community? That I can know this. That the Lord will bless me and keep me. That the Lord will make his face shine on us and be gracious to us. That the Lord will turn his face towards us. And give to each of us as we navigate God's new things. The peace of God that passes all understanding. And that it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Palm Sunday.